In Los Angeles this hour, supporters of the use of force plan to protest France's opposition to war by pouring bottles of French wine in the gutter outside of the French consulate. I'm going to get to Washington right now. The refusal of France to support the U.S. and Iraq triggering a symbolic protest. Uh, instead of offering French fries, some restaurants across the country now calling them freedom fries. That message also being heard in Washington, now being served in congressional cafeterias. Freedom fries, and instead of French toast, you can get freedom toast. I'm getting European fries today. Not French fries? Oh, no, no, no. We ran across this story coming from, to us from Beaufort, North Carolina, where a uh, certain restaurant there is now saying they're not going to be serving any more French fries. That's what we're hearing, and uh, Neil Rowland, is, uh, he's the operator of this restaurant, it's Cubby's in Beaufort, uh, North Carolina, and there's Neil. He's joining us now live to tell us what this is all about. Hey, Neil, where'd the idea come from? We opened up our menu, and the word French just took us and grabbed us. So all of a sudden, we decided, you know what we're going to do? We're going to change our French fries to Freedom Fries. Ah, yes, Freedom Fries. Remember that little bit of propaganda nonsense from the outbreak of the Iraq War back in 2003? Do you remember that craziness that enveloped not just the United States, but the globe, which I can personally attest to, because I do remember that, which is pretty astounding, considering A, I'm Canadian, B, at the time I was in Ireland studying at Trinity College, so I was far removed from North America in general, and thirdly, I, was, I didn't have a TV, I was not consuming media on a daily basis, I was getting my news through newspapers and occasional trips to the computer lab down on campus to, uh, to check my email and browse the news. That was it. But somehow, I still vividly remember that propaganda filtering down. And of course, it was treated somewhat whimsically at the time, as, oh, look what they're doing now. But still, that did filter down through the popular consciousness. And I remember it, and I'm willing to bet there are a number of people in the crowd who remember it. If you don't, or if you need a refresher, I will point you to uh, a great documentary on that very subject that I came across uh, here researching this, and which we pulled those clips from. It's called Freedom Fries and Other Stupidity We'll Have to Explain to Our Grandchildren, which is a pretty good way of encapsulating that. But think about how pervasive that is. Freedom fries and freedom toast and all of that nonsense. People dumping bottles of French wine into the gutter in their protest. How dare you not go along with the Iraq war? <laughs> Which it was absurd on so many levels. As they point out in that documentary, it's, it's absurd. It's absurd that they're wasted. They're buying French wine and then dumping it in a gutter as if this somehow hurts France. It's absurd that they're doing this against France when almost every other major country you can think of was also similar not inclined to support America in its uh, Iraq war, uh, including Russia and Italy and Mexico and, and China and all these other countries. But it's France that deserved all the iron opprobrium because they're a bunch of rifle drop and surrender monkeys, right? And thirdly, the idea that you're going to hit out at someone, some other just sort of random third-party country for not going along with the war and making them almost the enemy Instead of, say, the actual enemy, well, you know, to the extent that Iraq was the enemy of the United States, at any rate, shouldn't it, as they say in the documentary, shouldn't it have been terrorist fries or weapons of mass destruction fries? Which then would have, of course, exploded in the propaganda's face when weapons of mass destruction did not turn up. Again, it makes no sense on any level, but that's the point of great propaganda. It doesn't 
have to make sense. It's not logical or rational. It just plays on on the immediacy of punching you in the face with something. Something, hey, here's something in from your daily life, and now let's change it around on you. And again, of course, not everyone adopted it. Not not many people adopted it. But it was something. It was that, that thing that stuck in your mind all these years. Here's the interesting thing that I found when researching this uh, World War I documentary that I've been working on. It didn't originate with Freedom Fries. This is actually a very old piece of propaganda that stretches back to, yes, you guessed it, World War I, where, upon the declaration of, of war, the U.S. Congress declaring war on Germany, guess what? Suddenly, sauerkraut was no longer to be called sauerkraut in the United States of America. That's German. We don't want German. Now, sauerkraut was liberty cabbage. And uh, German shepherds were now Alsatians. <laughs> yes, the exact same propaganda nonsense was used a hundred years ago to, once again, get rid of any taint of the enemy. In this case, at least the actual declared enemy <laughs> in the war, which makes somewhat more sense. But still, uh, unfortunately, though, it was much more serious than those trivial examples would uh, would lead you to believe. And for the real deep, nitty-gritty details of this, I'm going to direct you to uh, a very important audiobook that I used as part of the research that I was doing for this World War I documentary. I couldn't recommend it highly enough. It is uh, by Ralph Ryko, who, of course, was the professor who was featured in that documentary. Um, unfortunately, of course, he did pass away in December of 2016, so I did not get the opportunity to interview him directly, but he has produced a lot of work on World War One. I. I would suggest just typing Ralph Reiko World War One into a search bar and finding uh, all the essays and books and things that he's written on the subject over the years. Um, but specifically, I, uh, I very much appreciated a an audiobook called The United States at War by Ralph Reiko, World War One. Um, which was really good at, at drilling down on the ways that American society was changed, fundamentally changed by that war, and uh, through propaganda and other means, uh, legislative as well. Uh, I, unfortunately, I can't find that exact audiobook now online. I don't know where that's available. All I can find is a very similar looking one, but the one that's labeled part two, and there doesn't seem to be a part one, so I can't guarantee it's the same audiobook I was working from. I'm not exactly sure, but anyway, I'll put the image that I have on screen, and hopefully someone out there can find the actual link, and I'll include the link to part two anyway in the show notes. But in that audiobook, he goes into a great degree of detail about the different things that happen, not just the renaming of German shepherds and uh, sauerkraut, but much more ominously, something that Woodrow Wilson directly referred to in his uh, war address to Congress when uh, he was calling for Congress to declare war in April of 1917, uh, where he, uh, he put it out on the table quite openly. He said in that address, We shall happily still have an opportunity to prove that friendship in our daily attitude and actions towards the millions of men and women of German birth and native sympathy who live amongst us and share our life. And we shall be proud to prove it towards all who are in fact loyal to their neighbors and to the government in the hour of test. They are, most of them, as true and loyal Americans as if they had never known any other fealty or allegiance. They will be prompt to stand with us in rebuking and restraining the few who may be of a different mind and purpose. If there should be disloyalty, it will be dealt with with a firm hand of stern repression.
ominous words indeed coming from the President of the United States, a firm hand of stern repression. I think that's a phrase that probably wouldn't make it through the uh, the gauntlet of gatekeepers and scriptwriters who uh, attend every presidential speech uh, in our day and age. But at any rate, that was right there on the table um, there in 1917. And those were not empty words. Within two months, the U.S. Congress had, of course, passed the Espionage Act, which was followed up a year later with the uh, Sedition Act of 1918. And together, those went a great way uh, towards the outright criminalization of speech that was deemed uh, contrary to government efforts during the time of war. And again, that was not mere... It was not mere rhetoric, and they weren't. Uh, that wasn't a bark with no uh, bite. It very much had a bite, um, as evidenced by examples like the minister in Vermont who was sentenced to 15 years in prison for a pamphlet that he distributed to a total of five people arguing that it was not right for a Christian to support the war effort. Five people. He was sentenced to 15 years. The socialist leader uh, Eugene Debs was sentenced to 10 years, only 10, for telling a convention of his party that the war had been caused by the capitalists. All of the different, I mean, those are just two examples. There were many examples of people literally being imprisoned for their speech during this war time. And all of those convictions were upheld by the Supreme Court. Goes to show it's the uh, the rights of freedom of speech and all of this are not worth the paper that they're written on. They never were. Um, the Sedition Act, of course, was repealed in December of 1920. December of 1920, over a year after the cessation of hostilities, they finally repealed the Sedition Act. But the Espionage Act, of course, is still on the books. And we know all about that because it's still being used to prosecute people like John Kiriakou, who had the nerve and the effrontery to expose the illegal CIA torture program, the only person to suffer, suffer any legal consequences for the CIA torture program is the person who blew the whistle on it. And it was through the Espionage Act of 1917 that he was ultimately prosecuted. So yes, this is still very much living, breathing history that is still very much with us. Um, the, uh, the craziness that swept over America during the, uh, the, the World War I, uh, it, again, cannot be, cannot be stated strongly enough. Uh, Fourteen states passed laws forbidding the teaching of the German language. Iowa and South Dakota both outlawed the use of German in public or on the telephone. Uh, ceremonial burnings of German books took place across the, the country. Uh, the Philadelphia Symphony and the New York Met Metropolitan Opera both announced that they would not be performing any pieces by German composers. You had the formation of something called the American Protective League, which uh, advocated and ultimately committed 40,000 citizen arrests of dissenters and anyone who grumbled uh, about the, the war itself. Uh, you had the formation of the Creel Committee, the Committee on Public Information, which was the first agency for outright propaganda ever created uh, by the U.S. government, uh, which produced 75 million books and pamphlets and employed 250 full-time employees. Uh, Hollywood obliged with the propaganda effort in pr uh, putting out propaganda movies about the war effort, of course. Um, President Nicholas Murray Butler of Columbia, who I'm sure 
you'll remember, no doubt, from the Why Big Oil Conquered the World documentary, was also the uh, president of Columbia when they har har harbored and fostered uh, technocracy in the basement of Columbia for the first year or two before uh, Scott got exposed. Um, he issued a proclamation saying that the, with all possible emphasis, there will be no place for dissent amongst the hallowed halls of of Columbia University, and ultimately professors did get dismissed for so much as questioning the rape of Belgium propaganda that we covered in a previous edition of this Propaganda Watch, or for merely saying that there were good and bad qualities in the German people as in any other people. Pe professors were literally dismissed for that. Uh, again, the hysteria, the craziness that swept over America in World War I is it puts freedom fries and and freedom toast to shame. Uh, that that is a mere taste of what not only is possible but actually happens during warfare. And of course, we've also had taste of that during our lifetime in this war of terror and the NDAA of 2012 and the Patriot Act and all of these things, which again proves, once again, that rights and liberties granted and enshrined in the Constitution and the Bill of Rights and blah 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 are just words on paper and will be removed when it is convenient to do so. The World War I was the blank check for the transformation of American society in this particular case, but society all over the globe, as I did make the point in part three of the World War I conspiracy. If you haven't checked out the documentary yet, what are you doing? Please do so. And we will be continuing to follow up on the incredibly important information presented in that documentary in the coming weeks here on CorbettReport.com. I hope you'll be staying tuned for that, and I'll be talking to you again very shortly. <laughs>